Looking for the latest perspectives to help simplify changing market conditions? Go to Nationwide, one of America's largest financial services companies. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. This is really important now. We're going to jump to the equity markets here with Katie Kaminsky. She's chief research strategist at Alpha Simplex. And what's so important is you can't pronounce her focus at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Stochastic processes, stopping rules, and investment heuristics. I've aged saying that. Katie joins us now with an encyclopedic knowledge of math and trend. Katie, your your work with Andrew Lowe and all the others around trend-based analysis leads us to one single question. Have we broken the bear market trend? That's a really good question because what we have seen lately, which I think is the most interesting from a technical perspective, is that we've seen signals really dissipate in the last two to three months. Right. And so it really feels like an in, you know an inflection point right now for us. We're still seeing sort of a net short, but it's very weak. Um, that kind of indicates that we could go either direction depending on right. what occurs. And I think yesterday just kind of showed that we might be going in a better direction than people had thought. Katie, I want to go inside baseball to Monroe Trout, Nassim Taleb, Paul Wilmot, and the others from years ago, mostly out of Imperial College. The raging debate is their value to volume analysis. Do you study volume? I don't. So volume is a good indicator to understand whether or not you can trade a market and whether or not your sizing is appropriate. But Unfortunately, a lot of indicators of volume have been difficult to document empirically um, as predictive. Um, there may be exceptions to this, but I think volume is still a key metric because it really tells you something about whether or not the tradability of individual markets is there. Um, and that's how we tend to think about it as you know, futures quants. Katie. Liz uh, McCormick of Bloomberg News wrote a story about a paper that you wrote about how pigs flew, uh, at least in your world, because you shorted bonds and you were able to deliver a 30 percent return or more in the beginning of this year, the first half of this year. Have you closed that trade out or are you still trying to short bonds here, especially after the rally? 
So that's a good question because what we saw in June was a big spike in vol. We saw cross correlation spiking as well. So signals in bonds have actually dissipated. Um, the reason we wrote this paper is that we really wanted to clarify that shorting bonds is not a fluke if we continue to see rising rates. That in fact, when you think about a rising rate environment, you're going to have to consider the shape of the curve on whether or not there may be some tactical short signals in bonds that could potentially work. And I think this is particularly pertinent right now as we're moving from an inversion towards a slightly steeper curve right now, as we're seeing that could be an indication that things are getting better um, as long as we see that persist. Well, Katie, you say in a rising rate environment, and what we're hearing from the Federal Reserve is, yes, rates are going to keep rising. We are going to keep hiking into next year because inflation is nowhere near where we'd like to see it. So how wrong is the market now? So I think the market is a little optimistic because I think, you know, it's always good to have a good number, to have a good print, to have something that brings your averages down. But most of us in the futures markets, we've already seen those moves in energies. We were kind of expecting this already. So I'd say that it's a little bit as would expected, slightly better. But what that means is that there may be a little bit of optimism over the first data point that confirms what people really want, which is things to go back to normal and the 60-40, as Lisa put it, to just be back into you know a good place, which is basically right. what most people are used to. Uh, Katie, one final question. A lot of people are looking at moving averages and their eyes are gla glazing over. I'm a huge disbeliever in baloney like the death cross in that. Can you use moving averages right now to figure out if this is a breaking of the bear market trend? So if you do use moving averages right now, I'll tell you that your signals are going to be very mixed. Um, you're going to have a lot of indications that things look better on the shorter end, and you're going to have yep. a lot of indications that they don't look good on the medium to long term. So I'd say that it's really, really unclear. And the only thing we can say as a quant right now is that there is very little signal and there's room to move in a new direction. That was a very safe answer. Katie Kaminsky channeling <laughs> George Kleinman there in what are known as Kleinman exponential moving averages. You killed it. Katie, don't be a stranger. Katie Kaminsky with Alpha Simplex. Right now, we're just trying to understand how much conviction this rally does have. Jim Paulson said he thinks he has conviction, which gives a lot of conviction to the conviction. <laughs> Chief investment strategist at the Luthold Group. Jim, you've been bullish. Uh, you've been then a little bit pulling back. And now all of a sudden, the melt up has begun something a little bit more concrete. Do you buy into this or do you see this as a head fake? I, I'm on the buy into it uh, side, Lisa. I think that a uh, couple things for me, I think, is at the forefront. You know, we talk about the Fed a minute. I, I think the case for additional Fed tightening is rapidly dissipating. I mean, we, we've brought uh, real GDP growth down to a crawl um, overall. Um, I think there's still downside momentum on growth as we go through the balance of this year. The past tightening policies of money growth slowing, fiscal growth slowing, dollar rising, yields rising is likely to keep real growth sluggish. On top of that, the inflation evidence just continues to get more and more pronounced. I don't know how long it'll take to come down, but clearly the momentum is down well, hold on, a second, uh, Jim. on inflation. I think by September, we're, we're going to see the Fed case for why keep hiking kind of 
dissipate a little bit. And this I'm is sorry? no. I, I mean, I, I don't mean to interrupt. I, I'm just thinking about what you're saying, and that we are seeing increasing evidence that inflation is coming down. The pushback, I'm sure that you hear, and you're going to hear it a lot, is not when it comes to rent, not when it comes to food, not when it comes to medical costs, not when it comes to how much you're paying for services. So yes, you are seeing disinflation in some areas, but it's not as broad as many people would like to see. What gives you conviction that we're seeing the beginning of something that is going to broaden out later this year into next? Well, I, I think that having real economic growth, you know, zero to two percent is a, is, a, is a big part of it. Having the past economic policies, they have lags and they're going to continue to be a negative downward force. The reason inflation peaked in the March, April, May period was because a year earlier, fiscal growth peaked, monetary growth peaked, dollars started to rise, yields started to go up. That is about a one year lag policy has on the economy and inflation. And that lag is going to continue to be negative going forward. Also, you know, you, you can always pick parts of the inflation center that are still hot, but there's a lot of parts that aren't. And, you know, the inflationary thrust of commodities, which was driving this to, at the leading edge, is now a deflationary thrust overall. You know, the core rates of CPI, PPI, PCE, have now all decelerated year on year in the last three to four months. Uh, annual wage inflation was six and a half percent on a six month basis at the end of the year. It's now 4.7% or 4.3% on one of those, I can't remember, but it's yeah. a big deceleration year to date. So I, I think, I think the, the debate on inflation has peaked. I think that's over and now it's a debate on how fast it comes down. Right. And I'm just saying, you know, by September meeting, we're gonna get more claim numbers that probably will show a little more weakness. And um, I think the case is gonna to start to go away. But beyond that, th this is really why I'm more bullish. I don't really care what the Fed's gonna do because the Fed isn't driving this ship. The, if I look but, at what's happening, we're already into a brand new easing cycle right now. Bond, bond yields from two years to 30 years have already started to ease. The dollars rolled over, it's already started to ease. Junk spreads have gone from over six to under five. They've started to ease. Real money growth's at minus 3.2%. It yeah. can't go much lower. I think it's going to start to improve because inflation comes down and fiscal growth has already started to go back okay. to easing. So do you want to miss an easing cycle? Jim, I totally hear you. Yet at the same time, I also hear Federal Reserve officials like Neil Kashkari saying we are nowhere near done. We still have so much tightening left to do because inflation is still very far from our target, even if, yes, it is moderating. Clearly, you aren't in that camp. But as you talk about all of these things that are changing, financial conditions that are easing and the Fed not being in control, does that not mean they are going to be even more aggressive to get that control back? Well, I, I think it's interesting how much attention we devote to the Fed because the Fed's been behind the curve the whole time. Fortunately, inflation's coming down today, not because the Fed lifted the funds rate for the first time in February this year, because monetary growth, fiscal growth, dollar growth, yield growth were tightening all last year. And that's what's bringing the slower yeah. economy and slower inflation. So now why the Fed's still behind the curve? But all the markets are right. going the other way and starting 
to ease. So why should we continue to give so much dominance to the Federal Reserve? Jim, we had uh, Katie Kaminsky on from MIT here earlier, and it sprawls out to your Iowa State with the rigor of mathematics and the rigor of trend, the rigor of a time series being all when we look at the equity uh, markets. How do we move from what's an obvious short squeeze, futures up 21, Dow futures up 183 two days in a row, to a constructive bull market trend. How do you transition from an obvious short squeeze out to a durable trend? Yeah, I think it's a good point, Tom. You know, eventually, to keep this going, we'll, we'll have to decide that we're not going to recess. So that, that, to me, is almost becoming the bigger issue than inflation right now is, are, are we going to recess soon? If we're not going to recess, then I think that gives you a fundamental undertow to your, to your point of giving sustainability. In the short term, though, we're dealing with a lot of bears in the sidelines, a lot of sellers that have come out, and, there, and we're dealing with some uh, technical levels that are right there in front of us right now. The 4200 level, the 4222, and if you break through some of those, then you're going to see right. a lot of the technicians that have been bearish change tune, and that could bring right. some buying in that could sustain could sustain this for a while. So it's if we fail it, you know, then we probably have some downside because it's probably ahead of itself. But if we break through that then I think you could convert mm -hmm. some bears and bring some sustainability for a period. Jim Paulson, brilliant with Louisville. Thank you so much. Greatly, greatly appreciate this. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. This is what we like to do. We are driven by the research of our guests. And when someone writes a piercing note, we say, Michael Purvis of Tallbacken, we don't care that you're living large in Spain. We need to speak to you. In the Spanish afternoon of a 4 p.m. with a sangria or a martini by his side, Michael Purvis joins us on Optimism on the market. Michael, I would predict every strategist, every market savant has to come out this weekend and adjust. How did you adjust this morning? Well, look, I, I've, I've been arguing that the recession, um, economic contraction, was, was really a pretty speculative argument. That, that was the argument that had been made 
uh, pretty substantially. And just in the last two weeks, we've had the three most important economic data points, you know, the ISM, the services ISM, the non-farm payroll, and then the inflation yesterday come in just the way you want them in terms of affirming that they're not necessarily in a high inflation, negative growth, or contractionary condition there. So um, what it when you look at positioning, Tom, um, and this is both treasury positioning and equity positioning, it is extremely bearish on both on both sides there, right? So the market is there's, – there's a vacuum there. And when you have those three important data points line up, you're looking at Q2 earnings that have – actually, the beats on earnings on both revenues and earnings were better than the Q1 beats. You're looking at a situation where where the market's going to move higher. So I have a tactical call up another 200 points to 4,400, and my year-end call I've adjusted to 4,500 uh, there. I'm not saying we're completely out of the woods, but I think the 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 certainly for the near term, the water's going to move higher, not lower. Michael, how much is your conviction right now underpinned by this idea that we just heard from Jim Paulson, which is that we are at the beginning of an easing cycle, that inflation is rolling off much more quickly than the Fed is expecting, and that they're going to have to catch up with the market? Look, I, I think there's a, uh, you know, sort of looking at the Eurodollar futures curve and looking at the uh, I think it's 50 basis points right now of cuts next year. I think that's an aggressive assumption here. But I, from a from an uh, how assets trade point of view, we see some stability where sort of peak hawkishness is going from the Fed pivot of just a year ago being ex- categorically dovish to now sort of categorically hawkish. Right, that's one of the most aggressive pivots in Fed policy. So you're going to have that asset prices disrupted and we've had that right well, so i think right now that that is in and so whether we get 50 basis points 75 basis points or zero basis points and cuts in 23 i think as long as we can look at something that's resembling some sort of stability in the bond market that's almost more important than than you know uh, uh what the average well, uh expectation but for your dollars. Michael, how much do you take a look at this idea that you had the biggest increase in food prices going back to 1979? Rents are surging. You see areas in non-discretionary spending that are crimping the average American household balance sheet, and that has yet to fully play out. How do you factor that into your bullish thesis? Well, that's a very good, a very fair point. And I do think there's very strong arguments for a lot of components of inflation to stay higher or longer, right? But I think the question is, is if the markets and the economy can sort of adjust to that, right? Um, uh, then I think the, the paces of those sort of inflationary surges are going to be very different than what we've seen over the last nine months, right? It's, it's really the surge in, 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 in the velocity of these inflation prints that have really, uh, you know, uh, disrupted the markets. If we get to a point where, where you know, we never get down to 2% and we're sort of adjusting to a new normal because of, uh, you know, or deglobalization, relocalization, higher food prices, uh, energy supply that never really fully um, expands so that yeah. oil gets down to 50 bucks again, then I think you can look at a condition where, where that, those types of dynamics will play out in a much slower basis and the economy can sort of adjust to them. It may be the 10-year doesn't go back to 2%, it may be that it's 3 to 4%, but if it stays there and, and, and then you can have the condition for risk assets to be supported. 
Is there going to be fundamental support, though, when we're thinking about earnings? Because as we talk about these inflationary pressures, there has been a lot of warning on the more bearish end of the spectrum from Mike Wilson, uh, for example, about margin pressure coming on. And as I now look at an S&P 500 trading back at a multiple almost at 19 on forward earnings, when are we going to start to maybe have a problem with that denominator? Yeah, well, the, the earnings question, you know, earnings um, bottoms up consensus estimates compiled by uh, Bloomberg are up about 6.5% from the beginning of the year. That's unusual. Usually they go down through the year there. And the Q2 numbers have been generally pretty good. I think it's important to recognize that, that if you have a high inflationary environment without an economic, a major economic contraction, right, meaning PMIs in the 40s or 30s, right, you will have high earnings growth. In the 1970s, you didn't have a great real GDP condition. You just had a lot of inflation. But earnings growth was literally twice as high in the 1970s than it was in the 1960s when real GDP averaged like 4.3% for that decade there. And I think that's one of those things that high nominal GDP can wash away, can actually help margins for many companies, right? And certainly the top line is inflated by revenues as well. So you're not seeing a lot of margin compression. The other story, the market, and again, I'm talking about the S&P 500 index level, right? Obviously, there's a lot of specific right. cases, sectors where there's a lot of vulnerability. But if you look at the, the I think, 13% right. net income margin that's being being expected well, by uh, forward estimates, that is, that is, Tom, that is, um, that is buttressed okay. by tech. And and tech has been um, shown resilience. Right. Michael, you know, we got to leave it there. But on behalf of Kaylee, Lisa, me, and John, I just got to say, Tomar una bebida de su elección. Nailed it. Did I do okay there? <laughs> Have a beverage of your choice, we say to Michael Purvis in Spain as he slips into the Spanish late afternoon. A trooper to be with us. Right now, the right guy to speak to at this time, Matthew Lozzetti, is chief U.S. economist at Deutsche Bank. And you know as well, for those that keep track, he was way out front and calling for some form of economic contraction in America. Matt Lozzetti, with the data we've seen on jobs, with the data we've seen on inflation, CPI and PPI, can you and Peter Hooper reaffirm U.S. recession? Sure. First, thanks so much for having me. I think... It does reaffirm our view, which is that we're not in a near-term recession in the economy. Certainly, the, the labor market data we saw last week, the jobless claims data are, are kind of edging higher, but still at very low levels. A labor market that is very tight, I think, all suggests that we're not heading into a recession imminently. Uh, however, I think it does point to a labor market that is still tight, wage pressures that are still well above the, the what would be consistent with the Fed's objective, uh, unit labor cost growth that is you know above 5%. And inflation pressures, which, yes, they are coming down, but I think are very far away from the Fed's objective. We saw trim mean CPI yesterday, 45 basis points month on month, 7% year on year. And so we would stick with our view that uh, we still have a recession. That recession is likely next year, around the middle of next year. And it still remains one that is Fed-induced as, as the Fed continues to tighten monetary policy. But Matt, do you actually expect this to be a less severe recession than you had perhaps a couple of months ago based on this decline that we've seen both in CPI and PPI? Yeah, we, we had as a baseline what I would call a moderate recession. We had uh, the unemployment rate rising. You know, it doesn't seem like moderate, but, but two percentage points. Uh, and something that would be kind of akin to what we saw in the early 1990s, about a 1% decline in, in GDP. 
I think the, the key reasons for that were, one, you have private sector balance sheets that are in good shape. Uh, two, kind of the cyclical sectors in housing and autos have been supply constrained. Um, and three, you know, that, that you did have monetary policy that, you know, would, would ease next year um, and, and kind of help out. I think on the margin, you know, certainly the inflation data um, this week was weaker than we anticipated. I think it does help our call for the Fed to move rates by 50 basis points at the September meeting. And it's just really a question of do we see these downside misses persisting? I think given the trim mean data, we continue to see uh, inflation over the coming months that is well ahead of the Fed's objective, which means that the market's pricing of the terminal rate is probably too low at, the po- at this point. So where are some of the inflationary pressures coming from? We've been talking about food arising at the fastest pace since, since 1979. We've been talking about rent on a tear. We've been talking about medical costs. How sticky are these particular elements as we see energy prices uh, really cool off, as well as some of the other issues with respect to goods? Yeah, I think the ones you mentioned are the ones that tend to be sticky, especially rent and OER. And, you know, those are the ones when you look at the minutes over the past year or Fed officials' comments, those are the ones that they're concerned about because they're they're sticky, they're persistent. Uh, And also Fed research shows that as they tighten monetary policy, uh, it kind of pushes down uh, housing affordability, Mm. pushes people away from home ownership into renting and can push up rental prices for a period of time. The other point that I I would note, uh, and particularly for the PPI this morning, is healthcare inflation uh, is likely to be rising possibly substantially uh, for the PCE healthcare, healthcare gauge over the next year. And that's simply a function of underlying wage pressures that we're seeing in, in the hospital and healthcare sector. We think that adds about 50 basis points to core PCE over the next year. So that is an important inflationary impulse for the Fed uh, that is upcoming and we haven't actually seen yet. Which is why we continue to hear Fed officials, even after the CPI, saying, look, our job isn't done. We still have a long way to go to get inflation down to target. But, Matt, it raises the question of how high the bar is, meaning how high a rate of inflation are they ultimately going to be willing to tolerate? Is 3 or 4% going to be the new 2%? Do we have to make that adjustment? You know, I think we heard some strong comments from Governor Waller uh, before the last FOMC meeting on that point. You know, it was noted that over prior months, we had 0.3% type core PCE prints. And he was asked if, you know, if that was sufficient. And, and what he said is that that annualizes to about 4%. That is more than double our objective, and it's nowhere near um, you know, where we need to be. You can say the same thing about yesterday's core CPI print. You know, it annualizes to almost 4%. So I think until you really see strong evidence that inflation is coming down, right. we continue to hear hawkish comments from the Fed because they need to have credibility to keep inflation expectations in, in check and in order to have, I think, hope of getting inflation pressures back down to target over time. And as we say over time, over what time period do you think is realistic? Ultimately, when we get into the start of 2023, when this market is betting that the Fed is going to be able to cut rates a couple months later, what rate of inflation do you think we will be seeing then? I don't think anywhere near the rate of inflation that the Fed would need to see to cut rates at that point, uh, unless the labor market has really deteriorated and the unemployment rate has, has risen substantially. Uh, if you look at policy rules, you know any of the ones that the Fed would look at, none of them would call for rate cuts uh, early next year uh, unless inflation were really coming down. We're expecting you still have core PC above 4% early next year. We think it ends yeah. this year around 4.5%. And so that's still double the, the Fed's objective in year-over-year terms. And, yeah. and just very clearly, that's not anywhere near the level that the Fed would uh, cut rates. Matt, you're reading my mind. That's right where I wanted to go, and I actually just brought up the chart. The fact is, 4% inflation, we can enjoy 1990, we can enjoy 1970, and, of course, the massive volatility coming out of World War II and into Korea. 
Melazetti, the fact is America has survived 4% inflation before. Will we do it now? Absolutely. I, I think we will see the Fed uh, you know, achieve their objective over time. Uh, we're confident that the Fed will do what is necessary in order to uh, tame inflation pressures, uh, ensure that we don't have a repeat of, of the 1970s. Um, President Kashkari's comments yesterday, I think we're very clear about that. Um, the key question, I think, and, and it's the ongoing macro debate is, how much pain will that require in the labor market and from a growth perspective? Yeah. Uh, we, can, we continue to think that it will mean that the unemployment rate needs to rise. Uh, and I think the recent wage data, uh, certainly the- Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is the, is the interview outcome here, Matt Lozzetti, that David Folkers Landau believes in the Phillips curve? I mean, is that what we're saying? I think when you look at what is driving inflation pressures today, there's no doubt an important supply side component. It's in autos, uh, it has been mm -hmm. in energy. But there's also a very important demand side component, um, and that is the component that the Fed needs to act on. It tends to be in services, right. uh, shelter inflation in, in particular. And the Phillips curve, we think, will work uh, in terms of getting okay. inflation down. It was flat pre-COVID. There is some evidence that it's steeping now. Matt Lozzetti, thank you for the brief as well. Lisa, did you think he did well there dodging that question? I think He, <laughs> he just, did a fabulous Lozzetti's job. Lozzetti's we'll a grizzled pro. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. We digress right now and do what is unusual because the stereotype and conceit is American investors, American tourists bombarding Europe as we're seeing this year. Andrea Bonami is a founder of Invest Industrial, and he is someone who believes in investing in America. He's done this in any number of forms. And what I would say is, and he's done this beautifully here, he's invested in Ducati. Matthew Miller, of course, with a nodding acquaintance with that. And what is so great about Ducati, Andrea, is it's right next to one of the best Italian restaurants in New York, Altra Paradiso. I love how you put that together. A great Italian restaurant next to Ducati. Not by design, so, but, uh, but, but... By design, but trust me, it works out. I've done it too many uh, at times. I want you to tell us with the transactions you did today, and they're smaller and they have to do with this, no. that, and the other thing in food, your belief from Italy in American investment. Describe that. 
Absolutely. Um, well, if you look at the United States for successful Italian companies, is the single biggest market. It's the single biggest growth market. We have about 8,000 employees across, uh, <coughs> across the group. Mm -hmm. And the United States will remain uh, uh, important for us. So I think there is no difference whether one looks at political or exchange rate issues. In the medium term, the U.S. will remain a very important market for successful Italian companies. You do something like confections where you're making little chocolates that I can't afford, but they're all over my house. I get, yeah. I, you know, I get the, I get the drill. Yeah. But what it's about is a technology conceit of America. We think we do technology better than Italy, better than continental Europe. Do we? You do technology better, but we do industry better and we do brands better. So I think Italy is the single largest industrial uh, producer in Europe after Germany. And uh, our strength uh, will come through, and uh, and and the growth in the United States will 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 support us on that. Andrea, I'd like to get to the Italian economy, which has been really a pinpoint, a pivot point for a lot of discussion. But before we do, the conviction to buy, the conviction to make a deal right now, as people talk about record uncertainty, and you see money, cash piling up on venture capital funds at a record pace. Where do you get that conviction? You get the conviction because private equity is supposed to invest in moments like, uh, like this. Our, our usefulness to the world is to provide liquidity when other people are, are, are scared or, or are pulling back. And usually people pull back when, they're, when you're supposed to invest. So this, uh, this investment that we've just done in the United States, which has about two and a half billion of sales to our food uh, buildup, um, is, is important. And you can do it because there are moments like this where supply chain issues, exchange rate issues, ESG issues, wars, etc., cetera, are, are, are impacting the market. And this is the moment where you are supposed to continue investing, not pulling back. Andrea, is it safer for you to invest in the United States right now than the Euro region based on the tightening plan that holds more uncertainty there based on the state of the economy, based on gas prices, based on what we hear about, which is fragmentation of the Euro project? Uh, in the short term, yes. In the medium term, no, as prices in Europe are, are becoming very good uh, right now. So we will continue both, uh, both tracks. Okay, Andrea, so that's where regionally you're investing. Let's talk about company-specific, the kinds of companies you are putting money into. You're making food-related deals at a time of very high inflation pressure for some of these companies. How do you navigate that challenge? Absolutely. Uh, so right now you've got raw material uh, price inflation, you've got problems with supply chain, you've got an, on, an onshoring of, uh, of, uh, of uh, if you want, sourcing. So there are tons of issues right now in the food industry. But if you look in the medium term, uh, food is the biggest challenge we have on the global economy today. Security <coughs> of food, safety of food, quality of food, quality of ingredients. So we're doing these two major build-ups. One, in the ingredient side, where we have reached about a billion in sales, and one which is three and a half billion, which is our our our, our private label. Uh, one of the, both deals today are on those two two ends of the market, and this will will are, are spot on where the world is going. So it, you'll see major changes in your, in food, and food will become a central issue 
uh, also because right. of the droughts, etc. So it will be, it will be. You mentioned technology before. It will be as big as technology, I think. Andre, I've got to talk to you about what matters, and what matters is, you know, I looked for your letter to me on the Taylor Swift graduation at your New York University. It is well, this was a huge deal in Manhattan, and I think what was really missed about Miss Swift speaking at Yankee Stadium to your NYU was this is a kid who never went to college. She did high school, and literally because of her acclaim, worked out of airport terminals as she studied. What was it like having a kid that never did that show up at NYU? Well, I'm only a board member at NYU, but NYU Yeah, but you is, got tickets. A, I didn't. That's what matters. <laughs> NYU is a, is, is, a, is a university which was born out of this city, and this city is a, is a city which gives opportunity to everybody, and it goes to your questions about also the United States. The United States is a place where you can have okay. opportunity, we, and that's and that's what NYU is there for, and got, that's what what I think. Okay, the United I got to States make some for. news here. I got the editor in chief <laughs> just emailed me, and this is this is boring. Make some news. How do you top Taylor Swift at NYU? Are you going to have Mario Draghi speak at NYU next year? I don't think Mario Draghi will get uh, will get the same reception as Taylor Swift. <laughs> Great, I mean, not, not even close. <laughs> okay. Not even close. But now he's digging a hole for himself with industrial. He is he, exactly. He's a. Uh, He's a good manager, but no, I don't think that that will be that will be. That's going to be across all of the Italian newspapers tomorrow. <laughs> Andrea Bonami, thank you so much. With Invest Industrial digging himself a hole in the Italian press. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from seven to ten a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from six to nine a.m. for Insight. From the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world.